All right, that's, that's my report. Um, I want to jump into the message this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the, in the book of 2 Peter. There's some Bibles there in front of you, and um, if you don't have one, but I want to encourage you to get one. We've got some, I think, several months ago, Meg was back handing them out left and right, giving Bibles away. So get one of those if you don't have one. If you, don't, if, if you need it, the things are going to be up here on the screen behind us. Let me give you just a little bit of background to this, too. Um, boy, and I really did appreciate the, listening to the last two weeks. I'm very thankful for the heart that, that Chuck and Brian both have for you um, and for the Word and their faithfulness to study the Word and their faithfulness to, to be preachers who um, don't hold back and they say, this is the Word of God and it's, it's beautiful. And I want us to be a church that that goes deep in the word as well. So um, a little bit of background on, on the message this morning. We're, we're in Second Peter. Peter wrote, Peter, of course, you know who Peter is, one of the 12 disciples. He's the one who was kind of loud and, you know, the one who jumped in the water to, walk, to chase after Jesus. He's the one who, who denied Jesus three times. He's the one who had the sword and cut off the ear of the guy in the garden. So he's kind of the real, the impetuous one of the 12, right? He's the one who really does love big, but boy, when he messes up, he messes up big time. He's also the one, we looked at this several weeks ago in the, in the book of Acts, who after Pentecost, he's the one who was out there in the street giving this incredible sermon that brings thousands of people to the faith. So we've seen this progression, this growth of Peter um, as a very much an immature follower of Jesus to now being a solid, mature um, apostle and a leader in the church and a father in the faith. And he writes these two books Two letters, really. They're not books like you would think of, but they're just simple letters to churches, not to any one church, but to a series of churches in, um, in the region, um, giving some instruction as to, you know, how do you, live, how do you live the Christian life? And in the first letter we call First Peter, he's really addressing these outside influences that are trying to come in and oppress the church. He's addressing persecution from the outside, Things that are, you know, these other outside sources of, of pressure that are coming in and just weighing heavy. And he's giving, in First Peter, he's giving a lot of encouragement saying, hold fast to the faith. If you're suffering, when you're suffering, hold fast to the faith. God is refining you. God is, God is, God is, God is making you stronger and, and better through all of this, through, through this whole process. And in the, in the second book, so that's in the first book. In the second book, it's less about these outside influences and it's more about these inside potential threats that can disrupt the unity of the churches that he's writing to. So in 2 Peter, where we are this morning, that's one of the things that he's looking at. And he's really concerned about false teaching. He's really concerned about this false gospel that, that is coming into the church. And he begins to get these reports about these other teachers that have come into the church and given, you know, sort of talking a lot about how essentially it's, it, it, it's cheap grace. These false teachers would come in and say, look, you've been saved. You have been saved through the blood of Jesus. You are free to do anything. You're free to live the life that you want. You're not bound by the law. You're not bound by these commandments. You're not bound by any of these rules and regulations. You have freedom in Jesus. Go, live, eat, drink, be happy, all these things. You're free from the law, so basically you can live any way you please. And Peter wants to write, and Peter wants to correct this and say, no, 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 that's, that's not it at all. He says, you are, you're, you're electing, you're called, you're saved, definitely, but you need to make sure that, you, that, that, that your salvation is lived out in a way that's pleasing to God. 
You indeed are saved by faith, but you need to, that needs to express itself in holy living. Everything you need to do, you haven't been saved to live any way you please. You've been saved to live a life that's honoring to God. So he begins this letter with some encouraging words. And here's what I want to read to you. It's really just, um, honestly, two or three verses. That's it. It's not, we're not gonna, it's not a bunch of stuff. But he says this. He begins his letter with some very encouraging words. And he says, essentially, everything that you need to live a godly life has been given to you already. There's not something else that you're waiting on. There's not another teaching that needs to come along. There's not another resource that needs to come along. There's not another conference that you need. You know, there's not any other kind of work of this, you know, uh, there's not another work of the Spirit that you have to have. Everything that you need to live the life that's honoring to God has been given to you. And this is what he says. We're in chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. I can find it. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And here's what he says, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. All right, can we stop and pray there before we get into it too much further? So Lord, we ask for um, a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord. We don't want to just read words on pages. We want the living logos to be revealed to us. We want to see your heart in your word. And we want to be changed by it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to read this one more time, but a couple things I want you to pay attention to. So it says this, his divine power, say divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Say divine nature. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Two words, or one word essentially on both ends, like bookmarks. You got divine power over here, and you got divine nature at the end. And I think we're supposed to pay attention to those. Those are both key words. They're like these sort of monuments on either end that we're supposed to pay attention to. And all this stuff is in the middle. And that's going to be, that's really the heart of this right now. That's, that's the, the, the message in a nutshell. If you want to listen to, kind of pay attention and then tune out after this, it's okay. Here it is. His divine power brings his divine nature. That's it. I think that's all that's, that's saying. His divine power brings his divine nature. So I just want to unpack several of these words, several of this, and then we're going to be done with it. So let's take a look at this power. This power, by the word, it, it, it comes from the Greek word where we get our word dynamite, you know? And if you've ever, if you've ever been around dynamite, you know that it, it has a lot of potency and a lot of explosive power in this small little stick or a, you know, fireworks, you know? Think about those little you know, blackjacks or the M80s, whatever they are. They're small, but they have a lot of explosive power inside of that. That comes from the Greek word dunamis. It's, it's, it's where we get our word dynamite. I remember when I was a kid, my dad and I, we were working on making a, um, one of those toy rockets. You never buy the, like, the rocket kits, you know, and you, it comes, it's like a tube, almost like a paper towel tube. It's got the nose cone and the fins, and you got to glue it all together. 
um, you know, and you can paint it if you want to. And I was never patient enough to do any of that. I never got to the part of actually painting it and putting on the stick. I was so, I was so impatient. Megan, you know this. I was so impetuous. I was like, okay, forget it. You know, it, it, I was lucky if I actually had fins on it. Um, and I went out there and I was like watching for this thing and I would put it on the little rack, you know, and I even had like the little, you know, the little controller box that it came with and the little button. It's got a red button you're supposed to push. I remember the first time I, I, I was going to do this, I was so excited, you know, and I like had it all set up and I was like, I these visions of the Apollo mission in my mind. I was like, this thing is going to go to the moon. It's going to be awesome. You know, and I got down behind bushes because I'm expecting there to be like this, you know, explosion. And I pushed the button and nothing happens. You know, I'm like pushing it harder. I'm like, what is going on? Why is this not working? I'm pushing on the button and I'm checking the wires. And I go and I, if I'm crying about it, I finally call my dad over. My dad comes and he looks at it. He's like, no, the wires are here. And he goes over to the rock and he picks it up. And he's like, son, where's the engine? I'm like, what do you mean, where's the engine? He's like, it's supposed to have like a little engine that goes in there. That's, that's what powers the rocket. I didn't know any of this. I wasn't patient enough to read the instructions. I just want to stick it up, blow it up, and send it up into outer space. I was ready to fly, but it had no power. That's the word here. You ever feel this way? You ever feel that God has called you? I remember feeling this way at times in my life, that God's called you to great things. God's called you to, to ascend up here, but there's, just, there's no power to do it. And I'm convinced that everything God calls us to do, the power of God is, is essential to it. And if you, look through, if you look through the Gospels and if you look through Acts, it seems like you can't turn a page without power being mentioned. Listen to this. The crowds were amazed at Jesus' power and authority. Right out of the gate, he begins to do things. He begins to show his, and the Bible says, power and authority. His dunamis and his exousia, his power and authority, they go together. And all through his ministry, he does this. And even at the end of his ministry, when he's, when he's um, sort of commissioning the disciples, he, he gives them power and authority. He says, all, all, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he promises the same thing to them. Paul writes, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God to salvation for those who believe. And any time in the Bible something incredible happens, it's because the power of God is present. And any time anything supernatural happens here, it's because the power of God is present. You know, anytime that a, that, a, that a healing happens, it's not because, you know, we have sort of this incredible human ability to manipulate the, the biological structure of a body and to do, you know, to do things. It's simply because the power of God is present where there's faith to do miracles. So Peter wants us to know, though, Peter says, look, the same power that, 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 that did all these miracles, it's also the same power that's going to enable you to live the kind of life that you're called to live. It's no different. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. The power that commands healing in broken bodies is also the same power that enables me to love my wife in a way that's honoring to God. The same power that drives out demons is the same power that enables you to walk in integrity at your workplace and to not steal and cheat and lie. Power is at the heart of it. Willpower is not at the heart of all of this. God's power is at the heart of all of this. So Peter begins by saying God's power, his dunamis, that's the engine driving everything I'm about to say to you. 
His power has given us everything we need. So let's talk about that. Everything we need to live a godly. And I'm going to show you a video that's, it makes me laugh even now. This is like a 10-year-old video. So you remember um, the movie Castaway that came out, goodness, how long has that been? 18 years ago, 15, 16, 17 years ago, a long time, a long time ago. That same year, and it's a story of, if you've not ever seen Castaway with Tom Hanks, it's a story of Tom Hanks who's a FedEx, sort of a FedEx pilot, and he, his plane goes down and he is marooned on this island for years. And Tom Hanks, the character, his, his character in the book, you know, he's trying to survive and some of the packages wash up to shore and he opens up some of the packages and inside is like a figure skate, you know, with a blade and he uses it to like hack stuff, you know? Brian, you remember this? But there's one package that he cannot bring himself to open up. It's like, and it becomes sort of like, this is my mission, this is how I survive. I am going to deliver this package to the recipients. This is my purpose in surviving. I've got to get off this island to take this unopened box home with me and get it to the person that's been waiting on it. And it's a, sort of this beautiful, you know, incredible story. And at the end, you know, he kind of gets, he, he's rescued and he goes on home. Well, that same year that the Castaway came out, there was, um, there was a video, a, a commercial made that was a spoof of Castaway that aired during the Super Bowl. FedEx, I think, probably did it, honestly. And it's, it's, I, I want to show it to you. If we can pull it up, make sure the audio works, and it's really grainy, but watch it anyway. Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package, and I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. That's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, but by the way, What's in the package? Oh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. All right. If you missed it, he asked what's in the box. And she says, oh, nothing. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, some fishing line, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff, she says. And the look on his face is like absolutely priceless. Everything that he needed to survive on that island was in this own open box the whole time. And I just, I laugh at that every time I see it. And it just makes me, and it reminds me of this, it does. Every time I see it, I think this is the same way that many of God's people live too. We have all the resources that we need, but we've never opened the box. We've never taken advantage of the tools. Everything that we need to live a victorious Christian life has been given to us but we keep it sort of put away as if we don't have access to it. And God says, you've had it the entire time. And Peter says, everything you need has been given to you. Open the box. So I want to give you, I was thinking through this earlier, what, what is in the box for us? What has he given us? What, what tools has he given us? And there's probably, a, there's a bunch. You guys, maybe you have your own tools. But I want to think of three that, at least in my life, and I think probably for most believers, have been the three most significant tools that God's given us to live the victorious life. And the first is this. The first is simply the word. That's number one, I think. No, I know. God has given us revelation in his word as to who he is 
and what he wants for us. Meg and I, we've been, in the past, uh, we sort of have walked our children through a catechism, learning how to, you know, memorize questions and answers about the Christian faith. And one, the very first question in the catechism is this, where do we learn how to love and obey God? The answer is in the Bible. The Bible isn't just ancient, irrelevant data. It's a roadmap. It's a treasure map. It's a love letter. This is how we discover who God is. This is where we discover how we can know him more. This is where we see the picture of Jesus. This is where we discover the power of Pentecost. It's in the pages here. And I think that's the first tool that many of us neglect is the Bible. And and our Bible reading has, I'm not saying you, probably talking about myself, our Bible reading is really more diminished towards a, you know, what's, what's, what's the latest Instagram, you know, little verse that's thrown up on the day. That's about the sum of it. Or we do a devotion and we don't really feed upon the word. And I think we're becoming spiritually anemic when we don't do that. When we don't go deep and, and, and just study and, and allow the word to, to, to be internalized in us. Paul writes this to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. And Paul writes, he says, all scripture is God-breathed. This, this is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God, so that the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Anybody want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work? I do. I want to be so equipped. I want to, I want to, have, every arsenal, I want to have every tool in the arsenal for the things that God's called me to do. And Paul is saying, you've got this incredible tool right here in front of you. All of Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for, for teaching. I need to know this so that I can teach myself. I need to know this so that I can teach my children. I need to know this so that I can teach you and others. It's useful for, for rebuking as well. I need to know when there's corrective action that needs to be taken, when things aren't as they should be. I read this, and I feel rebuked from the Lord as well. I need the word of God to help tell me this is right, this is wrong, you're off course. Correcting is the same thing, training in righteousness. This is what the word of God is good for. And it's the first thing that we take out of the box. I think the next tool in the box is right around you. Look next to you, the person sitting beside you. This, the body the church. This is another one that is so, so deeply neglected in our culture. Is that so many think that, that the faith is just something, something private and something that you can sort of, you know, you can meet with God out in nature. You can meet with God out in nature. It's beautiful. God speaks through his created world. God often speaks to me most when I'm fishing somewhere or I'm going on a walk and you know, I know you guys ride horses. I believe sometimes God speaks when we're, when we're just out with his created world. But that does not substitute being in the body of Christ because we're made to be in community with one another. And this is an incredible tool that is given you. Romans 12, 4 says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we who are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
you're an important part of this church. You're needed here. And you need others as well. Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. The body is an incredible tool. It pushes you and it pushes me and it sharpens me and it sharpens you. And, you know, together we just, we become, you know, more and more in the image of Christ, more and more in the image of God. The word, the body, here's the best one of all. It's the Holy Spirit. That is the tool above all tools, right? That's the one. Like if, if in, there are many people around the world that don't have this. They don't have this tool. There are many people around the world that don't have this. But they have the Holy Spirit. That's available to every believer. John, Jesus says in John 14, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. It will remind you of everything I have said to you. We need to open the box. Everything we need has been given to us. These plus more, the word, the body, the spirit, all these things have been given to us. Everything we need for a life of godliness. I want you to look at the rest of this verse. Through our knowledge of him who called us. When you think of knowledge, what do you think of? I think of learning. I think of, you know, facts. I know a lot of facts. I know a lot of random facts that are irrelevant in the world, you know. I've got, I went to college. I have sort of this degree. So when I see knowledge, I think of that. You know, but for, for, for the writer of this letter, knowledge wasn't so much an, an academic thing. Peter was Jewish, and his understanding of knowledge was very much a Jewish understanding of knowledge. So when Peter was writing through the knowledge of him who called us, he was thinking in a Jewish term, not so much as an American intellectual term. And he probably was even referring back to something all the way back in Genesis, where it said, in the Old English, Adam knew his wife. That's a PG-13 way of saying that Adam had sexual relationship with his wife because it's the exact same word in the ancient language. To knowledge was this experience, this personal, intimate encounter with someone else. So in the Old, in the, in the old Testament, when, 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 when the Bible talks about so that you may know God, it wasn't just knowing facts about God. It was encountering him in an intimate way. And when Peter writes here in his letter, through the knowledge of him who called us, it's not just knowing checkpoints on a doctrinal statement, knowing facts of theology. It's encountering God. It's experiencing personally. That's the, motive, that's, that's the motivation for everything that Peter writes. I want, you to, I want you to know, to know God through the knowledge of him who called us. It's one thing, it's one thing to sort of have this intellectual understanding. It's, it's sort of like in the movie Jurassic Park. I'm dating myself here. Not the second one, not the third one, but the original Jurassic Park back in the 90s, you know? In the 90s, it's the story of, of Alan Grant. He's a paleontologist, and he is the preeminent expert in all things dinosaurs, right? And he's going to visit this, uh, the, the, and I've been so long since I've seen the movie, but he's going to visit this island where allegedly there's these things happening. And the, the, the movie's pretty incredible when, you, when, when the film frame shows Dr. Alan Grant, world-renowned paleontologist, encountering 
a dinosaur for the first time. And he doesn't look at it and bring out his, you know, checklist of all the things. He doesn't begin to, like, bring out a book and compare. He is just absolutely awestruck and just sinks to the ground in awe. It's one thing to know it intellectually. It's another thing to encounter it personally. And Peter says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness. I want you to think about the, these, some of these verses here. Paul writes in Philippians, yet I count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything is, everything is a waste compared to knowing Jesus. Jesus writes in John, or Jesus says in John, this is eternal life that they may know you. He's praying to the Father that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the tools that God's given us, the word, the body, the spirit, all these are meant to do one thing. They're meant to help us encounter Christ. That's it. That's what the word is meant to help us do, to encounter, to yada, to know intimately and personally the risen Christ. So what the point of coming to, to, to fellowship is, what the point of church is, what the point of worship is, all these things, they're all meant to point us to a, to a knowledge of who Jesus is. God's divine power has given us everything we need to, to know Christ. All right, you with me so far? One more verse, verse four, it says this, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that you may participate in the divine nature. You ever been in a, uh, like in a lake or a, a pond or out in the ocean and you're kind of wading through the waters, you know, and it's getting a little bit deeper and all of a sudden the bottom just falls out from underneath you? This is one of those verses for me right here. I'm tracking with, I'm tracking with Peter up until this point. Until I, get to, and until I begin to read this and I begin to say, what in the world is he talking about? Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. And your translation may say something like so that you may partner with or share in or, you know, or, or have fellowship in the divine nature. It's hard to think of an illustration for this. I scratch my head and the only thing I can think of is, is, is the time you know, when, when moms are pregnant. There's a baby in the womb. You know, those of you moms have, have been here, you know what that's like. You know, I haven't, I can imagine. But there are two distinct beings sharing one life. Is it possible that that's what God is offering to us? That we can share in his very nature? That we can share and participate in his very life? He's not saying that we're going to become immortal. He's not just going to say that we're becoming God. You know, that we're not going to be all-knowing, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent. But he's saying that somehow we can share in his own life and in his own nature. We can have a participation in that. We're not standing out in the far. 
that we're brought in and somehow we become almost like an infant in the womb of God where we're sharing in his life and his life becomes our life and his thoughts become our thoughts and his will becomes our will. Paul writes, says, says something similar in 2 Corinthians. He says, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing joy. As we move deeper with the Lord, we're transformed into his image. We're transformed into his likeness. His life becomes our life. As we grow in our intimate knowledge of him, we just, we've got to take the tools. We've got to pick them up. We've got to pick up the word more. I'm, this is myself. I know. I'm speaking to myself here more than anyone else. The body, pressing into the body. The Holy Spirit, just walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Power has given us everything we need to live a life that is honoring to him, not just on the outside, but on the inside. Am I right? Brian, come on up. I'm going to wrap this up here. I just want to encourage you. If you feel like you're just sort of fumbling through parts of, of the life that God's called you to live, is it possible that there's a box that's unopened, you know? Is it possible that there are tools that you've not taken advantage of yet? Resources that he's given you you've not actualized and put into place. I encourage you to do that. Take advantage of it. Commit to being a student of the word. Commit to feeding on the word every day. Commit to being in true community, not just coming, not just being a passive, you know, passive participant, but really investing in relationship with the body of Christ. You've not been filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't know what that means. I want to invite you to do that. Receive that. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you about any of these things. Be glad and do that. Open the box up, though. Would you stand together with me? Let's pray, and we're going to move into some ministry time here. Father, we know that your power brings your nature. Lord, we want that. Lord, we want every bit of your presence. Every bit of your love, Lord. We want to be close to your heart, seeing the things that you see. But Father, we just open ourselves up to, to, to what you need to do in us. We know, Lord, that we have not been saved for ourselves. We've not been saved and freed just to live any way we want. That's not what the cross has bought us. The cross has opened up a door into a different kind of reality. The cross has opened up a way for us to step in into a different life, sharing your life. 
Father, bring your church deeper in. Lord, open the boxes. Point us, Lord, to the tools that we need to actualize and to walk in. Jesus, Jesus' name.